Good morning, church. Today I'd like to present you with a message called The Voice of One Crying Out in the Wilderness. So please turn to your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, and we'll be focusing on the first three verses. This message will be about the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the lessons that we can learn from the prophecies of John the Baptist. But before we get into the text, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you to watch over us during this time and help us to endure these difficult times that we're in, these challenging times. And we know that we as your church, we may be separated physically due to the coronavirus, but we are not separated spiritually. Heavenly Father, please guide my mouth this day to speak your words, to speak your truth, to speak your desires, and to open the hearts of those who are listening to this message and hearing your word, and may their hearts be open and be receptive of this message. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for continuing to meet our needs even during this time. And we just want to thank you and praise you and praise all in your precious Son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. A young lady was speeding through a small Georgia town one day. She was traveling 70 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour speed zone. The police pulled her over and wrote her a ticket that cost her $100. She didn't have the money to pay it and ended up going to court over the ticket. In the courtroom, the judge said, you have been found guilty for driving 70 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour speed zone. You have to pay $100. The young lady said, I'm guilty, but I cannot pay it. I don't have $100. Well, if you don't have it, well, if you don't pay for the ticket, we'll have to lock you up for the weekend. I can't pay for the ticket, but I don't want to go to jail. Can you please just have mercy on me? The judge matter-of-factly replied, I can't change the law. The law says that you've got to pay $100 or you must spend a weekend in jail. Those are the rules. I can't change the rules. Starting to tear up, she spoke in a small voice. Isn't there something you can do? I can't pay it, but I don't want to go and get locked up. Have mercy on me. Looking down at her, the judge pushed his chair back off from the bench, unzipped his robe, and took it off. He went over to the side, picked up his jacket, and put it on. He walked down and stood beside the girl, reached into his wallet, and brought out a $100 bill. He put the $100 bill on the bench, took off his jacket, and then went on and picked up his robe. He zipped up his robe and got back behind the bench. Young lady, you've been found guilty for going 70 miles per hour and a 55 mile per hour speed zone. The law is the law. I can't change it. The law says you must pay $100 or spend a weekend in jail. Ah. But I see somebody has already paid the price. You see, God saw us speeding down the highway of sin. He came down and put on flesh, died on the cross, and paid the price that you and me simply could not pay. He picked up the tab, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. The good news of the gospel is that the bill that we had no ability to pay it was impossible, but it was paid for for those who believe in him. 
It was paid by God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So as we read through the Gospel of Mark and we explore this account, we will see what is recorded in this very good news. Before we get into the text, let's look at the background of this Gospel. Mark is one of the Synoptic Gospels along with Matthew and Luke. The Synoptic Gospels include many of the same stories, often in similar sequences and in similar and sometimes identical wording. They start, they stand in contrast to the Gospel of John, whose content is largely distinct. The Gospel of Mark is written towards an audience of Roman Gentiles. Many scholars believe that Mark is the oldest of the Gospels and believe that Matthew and Luke use Mark's account as a reference. In fact, 95% of Mark is found in Matthew's Gospel account. Mark's Gospel is also likely heavily based on Peter's eyewitness account because Mark was a disciple of Peter. An interesting note is where each of these Gospels begin. Matthew starts with a genealogy to show that Jesus is a descendant of David and how this fits with the prophecies about the Messiah. Luke starts at the birth of Jesus to show that he is both man and God and also how his birth fits into the prophecies. John starts before creation in eternity past and shows that Jesus is in fact God. Mark starts at the beginning of Jesus' three-year ministry and cuts right to the chase. Unlike Matthew and Luke, Mark does not contain an account of Jesus' birth. So rather than emphasizing the events leading up to Jesus' public ministry, in terms of his genealogy and his family roots, as we see in Matthew and Luke, and in terms, or in terms of the theological foundation, as we see in the Gospel of John, Mark focuses on the ministry's actual beginning. The beginning is identified with the ministry of the Baptist and with the prophecies announcing his coming and making way for the way, Jesus. The text we are going to focus on, Mark 1, 1-3, will bring our attention to the following three points. The Gospel, the Call, and the News. And our text reads, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So on to our first point, the Gospel. You see in verse 1 it reads, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Some scholars view this as Mark's title of his Gospel. But either way, it should not be separated from the rest of the context of this passage. Gospel is a term for political or personal reporting and correspondence, meaning good news. The Greeks used the word euangelion for events such as the birth of an emperor or a major military victory. Euangelion is where we get the term evangelism or evangelist. So the term gospel, or evangel, among the Romans meant joyful tidings. For example, when, we, when this was used for an emperor's birthday, 
It was accompanied by festival occasions intended for the whole world to participate in. The reports of such festivals were called, were called Evangels. A calendar inscription from an emperor from about 9 BC read the birthday of the god, that's little g, was for the world the beginning of joyful tidings which have been proclaimed on his account. This inscription is remarkably like Mark's initial line and it clarifies the essential content of an evangel in the ancient world. It was viewed as a historical event which introduces a new situation for the world. In this perspective, the Roman world would have understood Mark's proclamation of Jesus the Messiah. Beginning with the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry, Mark announces Jesus coming as an event that brings about rad a radically new situation for all of mankind. Additionally, Mark's own understanding of what constituted as joyful tidings drew heavily on the prophetic traditions that were found in the Old Testament. The explicit reference to Isaiah indicates that the gospel receives its proper interpretation in light of the coming salvation promised in the prophetic word. In Isaiah, the Hebrew term signifying good news refers to the announcement of a future salvation or of the time of salvation. In the prophetic word, there is a distinctively forward-looking eschatological perspective. The messenger of joy will announce the beginning of time of salvation and thereby introduce it. So Mark is indicating to us that the beginning of the good news is ultimately about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For Mark, the introduction of Jesus is no less monumentous than the creation of the whole world. For in Jesus, a new creation is at hand. Jesus Christ's coming, and especially the start of his mission, marks a new beginning both for God's people and finally for all of creation. In Mark's understanding, the gospel is more than a set of truths or even a set of beliefs. It is a person, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom that God inaugurates is bodily present in Jesus of Nazareth. So from the outset, Mark announces that the content of the gospel is the person of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God. It is a brief confession of faith, the meaning of which will unfold only as the reader follows Mark's presentation of Jesus in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is the very teachings of Jesus, the perfect life of obedience that he lived while he walked on this earth. Jesus commands us, to turn our lives away from sinfulness and to turn away from worldliness and to follow his example of obedience. We see him say this in Matthew 4, 17, where he says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We can't live in sin and have a relationship with God. Scripture makes this very clear. We see in 1 John 3, 8, The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. We are all sinners. None is perfect but Christ. But practicing sin, that is sinning in a habit, making it habitual, 
that is a sign that those are of the devil. So we are both to repent and to believe in the gospel message and turn away from a life of wickedness, a life of sin. In Mark 1.15 it reads, And saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It is imperative to realize that since Adam and Eve fell, we have all followed their footsteps and we are all sinners. We are not, as some suppose, only victims. We are, no, we are rebels. We are traitors. We are criminals. We desperately need a savior, without whom we would simply be running towards the road to hell. But Jesus is that savior that we desperately need. And he volunteered to take the debt for all those who place their trust in him. Placing that trust in him requires us to believe that he came down, that he died on the cross, that he was raised from the dead by his Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. This belief is not simply head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Knowing that what we must believe is genuine. And that means that we believe it enough to do something about it. It has to be a genuine belief. That means we sincerely turn from our wicked lifestyle. That means we relinquish our desires and instead pursue His desires. That means we surrender our everything to Him. For we know that His ways are so much more greater than our ways. That honest belief in Him means that all our sins, past, present, and future, will be washed away by His blood. Now that is the good news of Jesus. That is the gospel. And that brings us to our next point, the call. In verse 2 it reads, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? Mark's quote is from three Old Testament passages, which probably explains why it reads the prophets as it's found in some manuscripts. Verses 2 and 3 both quote, Isaiah, Malachi, and Exodus. This was, very, uh, this was a very common practice when citing multiple sources to just identify the most well-known of those sources instead of listing them all. Mark and other biblical writers simply did not employ the technical precision, precision of modern research that we see in use today. Simply put, it was not necessary for their purposes. So this verse contains an allusion to Malachi 3.1 which reads, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This verse is also an echo of Exodus 23:20, 20, which reads, Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Note that the word angel can also translate to mean messenger. The reference from Exodus and Malachi served to interpret the text for Isaiah, which is found in the following verse in our passage. It's important to note here, too, that this allusions and quotations from Isaiah actually dominate the Gospel of Mark. So as we see, as we continue to study this Gospel, we will continue to see this. Thus, even though Malachi is cited first before Isaiah, it functions to actually explain Isaiah. 
the messenger from Malachi's account refers to Elijah, but here, messenger, refers to John, who is a type of Elijah. It is often assumed that Elijah, whom Mark here identifies as John the Baptist, would be the forerunner of the Messiah. But in pre-Christian Jewish text, preserved in the Old Testament and intertestimonial literature, Elijah prefigures not the Messiah, but the appearance of God himself. This fact considerably elevates the importance of this Old Testament quotation. John was the divinely promised messenger sent to prepare the way for Jesus. In ancient times, a king's envoy would travel ahead of him, making sure the roads were safe and fit for him to travel on, as well as announcing his arrival. What we see in this passage is applicable to us today. You see, God calls us and sends out his people into this world. And, and he calls all believers to share the good news of the gospel. Though some are specially commissioned by God and confirmed by the church and compelled by the gospel message to be missionaries or in pastoral service, this is a responsibility for all believers to do. As believers, we are not left alone to complete this essential task. This is important to remember. The ability for us to have the boldness to share the gospel in this hostile world is found in the promise and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. We should look to the example of the prophet Isaiah, who showed great courage and willingness to serve when he said in Isaiah 6, 8, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. This leads to our final point, the news. Verse 3 reads, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This verse is a citation of Isaiah 43, which reads, A voice is calling, Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah 43 is quoted by all four Gospels with reference to John the Baptist as the forerunner of Jesus. In this quotation, several of the pronouns and the way of the Lord refer to God the Father. Mark, however, applies these texts with reference to Jesus. This indicates that John the Baptist is not simply the herald of the Messiah only, but of God himself appearing in Jesus of Nazareth. So this is the groundwork that will define and characterize Jesus' bearing throughout the Gospel of Mark, in which Jesus unpretentiously but authoritatively unites his way with the Father's way. His work with the Father's work. His person with the Father's person. The gospel is understandable only as a completion of something that God began in the history of Israel. This excludes the possibility of Christians either dismissing or diminishing the importance of the Old Testament, or in attempting to purge the gospel of its Jewish origins and context. You cannot unhitch yourself from the Old Testament and claim to follow the teachings of the New Testament. Additionally, this verse has embodied what it means to evangelize. Evangelism focuses on proclaiming the good news 
of the coming of the kingdom of God in Christ, including the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Both in the Old and the New Testament, it instructs believers to spread this vital news. In Psalm 96, 2 and 3, it reads, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Matthew 28:19 reads, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The preaching and the teaching of the gospel should overtake us and drive us to share this good news. 1 Corinthians 9:16 reads, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast for, for I am under compulsion. For woe to me, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. The spreading of the gospel is a huge responsibility and a blessing. We see this in Isaiah 52, 7, which reads, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who announce peace and bring good news of happiness, who announce salvation and say to Zion, Your God reigns. Romans 10, 14 to 15 reads, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. As we start to conclude this message, let us consider this. Huber, a great naturalist, tells us that if a single wasp discovers a deposit of honey or other food, he will return to his nest and impart the good news to his companions, who will sally forth in great numbers to partake of the fare which has been discovered for them. Shall we, who have found honey in the gospel of Christ Jesus, be less considerate of our fellow men than wasps are of their fellow insects? Ought we not rather like the Samaritan woman to hasten and tell of the good news? Common humanity should prevent one of us from concealing the great discovery which grace has embedded to us. As our time is about to end, please consider the scripture that we have shared together today. Meditate on it during the week. Chew on it and, and extract the teachings found in the scriptures that's that the scripture that is introducing the Gospel of Mark. Next week, we will continue to look further into the first chapter of Mark, and we'll go into more detail on John the Baptist and that message that he was crying out. I pray for those of you who are hearing this message that you will ask God to search you and to reveal the truth that God desires to share with you. And if you do not know him, I pray that your heart will be softened so that you will know him and have a relationship with him. And for those of you who do know him already, that you will be encouraged to spread this good news, this good message, this gospel message, with those who have not yet heard the saving truth. All the glory to God. Amen.